You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, if you've ever prayed for someone, you know what it's like to, uh, to maybe pray for someone that's sick. Praying for the sick, praying for a broken family, uh, praying for uh, uh, the fix of a financial disaster in your own life, praying for a trial, praying for a wayward son, a distant husband, a terminal child, the internal battles that go on inside. Sometimes God shows up and sometimes he does not. And perhaps no burden is greater than the burden of the silence of God. And today we're going to dive in to the very last portion of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to discover how God uses those moments when we are not healed, when we are not set free, when God seems to be silent, those moments of, the, of courage and tenacity shape us. Uh, we have, over the last couple of months, been going through Second Corinthians. So if you've been to every one of them, you have actually completed uh, one of the more obscure, more difficult books of the New Testament. We've been going from A to C and finding out what it takes to become all that God has made us and what it takes to shape us. So previously on Second Corinthians, here's the gist. He, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he planted a church in the city called Corinth, which is a Greek city in and uh, he planted this church. He was there with them for a couple of years. He loves them. He, he won them to Christ. He, he led many of them to the Lord and he baptized them, baptized their children. And uh, he was a part of their life, got them rooted and planted. And then he went on to plant another church. But behind him came so-called super apostles who tried to undermine everything Paul had done in their life and in their heart. And these super apostles were telling their people that Paul had it all wrong. Now, previously, Paul had written to them because they had all kinds of troubles that were going on in their life. As young believers in a church in a city that was very wild, Corinth was the Vegas of their time. And in Corinth, anything went. So they had a bunch of believers who were struggling with a lot of very serious issues. And on top of that, a group of people that were coming in saying, don't listen to Paul. So Paul writes this letter. This is 2 Corinthians is the second out of four that we still have. And this is his final response. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul just got done talking to them about trials and persecution and hardship, all that he's gone through for the sake of the gospel. And he says this, I could tell you more. He says, I could tell you more about all all I've done. He says, I must go on boasting or telling you more, although there's nothing to be gained. Although he says, I'm going to tell you more, but I don't think you're listening. And he says this. So then he talks about something very strange. He says, "Uh, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man. Now, most people believe, uh, most scholars believe that Paul is actually talking about himself right here. So Paul is about to call himself a Another person. He's, he's referring to himself in third person. There's a reason why he does that. But he says, I know a man himself in Christ who 14 years ago, basically that was six years after the resurrection of Christ. He says, who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. This is when you're like, what? There's like three heavens? Well, it is understanding at that time that the first heaven meant the sky, the second heaven meant space, and the third heaven meant the place where God dwelled. So he says, I went to the place where God dwelled. I somehow was taken to heaven. He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He says, I don't know if it was a vision or if I was physically taken there. He says, I don't know. And what I know uh, that this man, me, was caught up Apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell you. I mean, he says, there are things that I saw and experienced that I can't even put into words or tell you about. And he goes, and I will boast about this man like that, but I will not boast about myself like that, except about my weakness. Basically, he says, this person, me, And you know it's him because of the way he he talks about it later on. He says, I could boast about myself doing that. He says, but I'm not going to boast about this about me. In fact, I'm going to treat this as if it wasn't even me because it's not the important. I could tell you about how 
spiritual I am. But I'm not going to tell you about all that I've done and all I've experienced. Instead, he says, I'm going to tell you and brag about my hardships. And I want you to hear this for a second. Why would Paul not want to say, this is what I have experienced in Christ. This is what I've done in Christ. This is where I've been in Christ. This is how awesome I am with God. Why wouldn't he say that? Because he knows that the struggles shaped his walk, not those experiences or those events or those things that he's done. Those are not the things that shaped his faith. It's the struggles. I want you to write this down. And this is kind of, we're going to give you two quick things about Paul and about this whole book. Is that number one, a great walk with God comes with a price. Comes with a price. Paul explains how his hardships shaped him and his weakness was greatest when uh, his weakness was when God was the greatest. Now, listen to me for just a second. A lot of people, they want a great walk with God. You know, you hear, man, I, I want to be like, you know, and I don't think you want to be like me. You might. Some people have said that because, you know, what can I, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to boast about him. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm talking about myself, third person being like Paul. Uh, but a lot of people say, well, I want a faith like Ted, or I want a faith like Chris, or I want a faith like Sean, or like, you know, Nicole, you know, in her gentle spirit. And we want the walk. We want, man, I want a faith like Paul, but we don't want to, we don't want to be beaten like Paul, right? <laughs> man, I want to see miracles like Paul saw miracles. Yeah, but we don't want to be shipwrecked like Paul, right? We want the great walk with God, but we don't want what it takes to have it. And Paul is saying, and I want you to realize this, that a great walk with God comes with a price. He goes on to say in verse 6, he says, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. He says, man, I could tell you about how great I am. I could tell you about my education, my accomplishments, my successes, the miracles that I've experienced, the visions that I've had, man, they're big. He says, I could brag, but I don't want this to be about how great I am. I don't want you to define my life by the great things that I've done. Listen, he says, he says, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. He says, or because of these surpassing great revelations, I want you to write this down. A great walk with God is defined, is not defined by how good I am, but how faithful I am. This is going to be where this whole last portion is going to go. Because a lot of people say, you know, uh, my walk with God, I know a lot about the Bible, man. I've been there. I've grown up in church. I know a lot. So, man, I got a good walk with God. Really? Because Paul says it's not about how good good you are, but how faithful you are. Some of you are like, you know, I go to church every week. I said a prayer some Wednesday night and I, I went to camp or I, you know, I, I'm a good person. Paul is saying, you know what? Our walk with God, a great walk with God is not defined by how good we are, but by how faithful we are. And we're going to see this in this whole last portion. He says, Paul says, who I am in Christ is not defined by my accomplishments, my spirituality, my Bible knowledge, or even miracles and signs and wonders, which Paul had. But when life gets hard and the miracles stop, my faith is defined by am I still faithful? And that's the key question of the entire book of 2 Corinthians. He says, verse 7b, the second part, he says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, no one, not even Paul, is immune to the danger of pride. He says, to keep me humble, I was given by God a thorn in my flesh. Now, we're going to talk about in a second, if you've ever heard of the phrase thorn in my uh, flesh, you ever heard of that phrase? I've got a thorn in my flesh. Usually we're talking about a person. Uh, trust me, I have a few thorns in my flesh. Um, nobody here, of course. Maybe. Uh, Paul says, I have been given a thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. Now, what does that mean, thorn in my flesh? That word thorn doesn't mean like, boink, boink, 
You know, like a little thorn. Boink, boink. I got a splinter. God, you gave me a splinter. No, the word thorn is actually translated as stake, like a pounding stake. So a stake of pain. I've been given a stake of pain in my body. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, he had just said that he'd been beaten nearly to death five times. He uh, had been flogged. He'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead. He had had broken limbs, broken body. He was dragged out. He was beaten so badly. At one point, he was thought to be dead, and they dragged him out for the wolves to eat him. He had snake bites, and we can't help but wonder that he probably had a lot of scars, and based on what he's gone through, he probably had a lot of pain, all right? We have no idea what this thorn in the flesh was, though, but he had already had a lot of pain and physical trials in his life. He says, I've been given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The word torment means to punch or to strike me. He says, now listen to this. This was conceived by God and carried out by Satan. Now, in Luke twenty two thirty one, Jesus even tells his disciples, he says, Peter, Satan came to me and wanted to sift you. He wants to take you through the ringer, Peter. And you know what I told him? I told him, okay. And he says, and on the other side, you'll be stronger. So Peter, get ready. You're going to be sifted by the devil. So in similar fashion, we see this throughout the scripture. In the book of Job, we see this with a guy named Job who loved God. And the enemy came to to God and said, man, Job only loves you because his life is good. God says, no, it's not because I know his heart. And the enemy says, Satan says, well, I'll show you. Okay, God says, have Adam. And God let Satan do anything he wanted to Job. Job's faith stood strong. So here's a, a picture where God, in this instance, conceived by God, but it was carried out by Satan. He was punched around by the devil, but it was allowed by God, much like Job. How does that work into your theology? How does that work with you to think that, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me, Ted, that some of my struggles, some of my pain, some of my issues that I am praying for God to help me with are things that God even allows purposely to happen to me? I don't believe that at all. I don't believe in a God that could do that. Could do that. And that's where a lot of people say, well, I don't believe that portion of scripture. Well, I don't believe what you're saying, Ted, because God would never do that. Remember, God's ultimate goal is not for you to have a happy life, but for you to become more like Jesus. And let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this. Jesus died a horrible death on a cross. I don't know if you know that. But guess what? He also rose from the grave. So whatever the enemy brings at you, no matter what torment or crucifixion life may bring to you, guess what? You have a resurrection. And that's a resurrection of of a promise of God that this life is not the end. And whatever pain that we are submitted to, ultimately it will make us, if we are his, more like Jesus. So I have a challenge for you today. I want you to listen to me today. Are you willing to allow God to do a harsh work in you so that you might be more like him. Paul says, God was trying to keep me humble, so he let a lot of troubles come into my life. Now, what might you have said to Paul if you would have heard what he was going through? You'd have thought, man, Paul, you just have a lack of faith, brother, right? You said, Paul, you just need to pray harder. Paul, man, come on. Uh, You know, obviously you have some sin in your life. This is a result of things you've done, I'm sure. Some of you might say, you just need to read Chicken Soup for the Soul and think more positive. You guys, you just need to, you know, pray harder. So what was this thorn in the flesh? It's, this has actually been debated in churches for years. What is the thorn in the flesh? We don't know. We don't know. He never says what it is. Some say the thorn in the flesh is a mental problem that he was having, like a a, a mental depression. Some people say that the thorn in his flesh was uh, emotional, that he was just stressed and tired. Some say uh, it was a lust. Some commentaries say it might have been blindness. Some say it might have been malaria, which was common at the time. Others say it was stress, a migraine. Some say that the thorn in his flesh was a person. So he prayed three times apparently to get a person out of his life. Um, Some say even baldness. 
Some of you have been praying for that yourself. It's a thorn in your flesh, isn't it? What is your thorn? I want to ask you, what is your thorn? Maybe it's one of those things. For Paul, the, the scriptures are very clear that this was an actual physical pain. It means a pain or a thorn, a jab, a stake, a punch in my flesh. Okay? Now, he had wrote, uh, written to the church in Philippi in uh, chapter 4, verse 6. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Uh, to God? To God. Uh, Paul practiced what he taught, and he took this very issue to God. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord that this thorn in my flesh, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me, to take it away from me. Man, I cried. It's not like just, it's not like he said, God, will you take it away? One, chick. God, will you take it away? Two, check. God, will you take it away? Three, check. Three times I prayed. Now, this whole idea is that three times, he, man, he got on his face, maybe had an all-night prayer vigil. I don't know, man. He cried out to God, fasted for it intensely, three times, whatever. Three times is a generic number, which means I repeatedly cried out to God to deliver me from this pain that I was experiencing. Three times I prayed for God to deliver me. I want you to write this down. Uh, you can put it down under, under this section here. As I want you to know that God heals today. God still does miracles. We see it all through the book of Acts. We see it all through the New Testament. And we've seen it all through the church in the last 2,000 years. God shows up. Man, I've been in hospital beds and prayed for the sick and seen them healed. I've prayed for the sick. I've prayed for situations. I've prayed for miracles in people's lives. And I have seen God show up and do the miraculous. I know God still heals today. And Paul, man, he was a man of faith. Here's a guy, check this out. The sometimes when Paul went places, his shadow would heal people. People who were sick just lined up to get in the shadow of Paul. And there were sometimes he couldn't get to a place and he would pray over hankies and send them to cities and say, this is me standing in proxy for you. And these hankies that he had prayed for were a point of contact for people's healing. I mean, this is a man of faith. This is a guy who saw miracles, who prayed and believed in the miraculous, and he was praying, God, deliver me, and this is what happened. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, and nothing happened. He says, but he said to me, the Lord said to me, And this answer was not what he was hoping for. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. Now, that word grace is a big word. And some of you guys maybe know that word. Basically, it means undeserved, unmerited favor. That means you didn't deserve anything from God and God picked you anyways. That's what it means. Grace means, I don't know why in the world somebody in in the world doesn't give their life to Christ and why I did. That's called grace. The only reason we can know God is because God wants to know us. The only way we are able to respond to God, the Bible says, is because the Holy Spirit allows us to respond. And that favor of God, that unmerited, undeserved, we did nothing to deserve it, is called grace. When God says, I picked you, and I picked you, and I picked you, and I want you, and I want you. I don't know why everybody doesn't say yes to God. But those that have God's grace is on you. His favor, unmerited favor is on you. His love is on you. I don't know why. I don't understand what this means. I don't know how that can happen. But God says, my grace, my favor, my love for you is enough. But I want you to write this down. Not only does God God heal, but God does not always heal. And this is the strange part about unanswered prayer. Because I don't know why sometimes we're not healed. It makes no sense whatsoever. I can pray for somebody and see a miracle. And I can pray for another person and see nothing. I can pray for one person and they're healed. In 2009, I was diagnosed with cancer. I went through the cancer treatment. I 
You know, I'm cancer-free to this day. We had several other men, uh, two guys in particular in our church at the same time who had cancer, and they both died of cancer. The same year I had cancer and became cancer-free, my brother had a different type of cancer. The same year I did, and he died of cancer. I don't know why prayers are not answered. God does not answer every prayer. The mystery of unanswered prayer. My mother, she loved Jesus. She would sit in the front row of our church and point at her watch. Only mothers could do that. She was probably the loudest shouter when it came to praise. And she always said she wanted more charismatic experiences in her church because she grew up Pentecostal, which blew my mind about the time because she's used to like five-hour services. She loved Jesus. She was out of nowhere attacked with a viral corruption in her body. Um, It's a urinary tract infection that just went wrong, went straight to her brain, instant brain damage, and she died a couple months later. She was a woman of faith. Man, we prayed. She was in ICU for months. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. I believed, I believed. She passed away. Have a dear friend of ours that we started our church with, one of my best friends in all the world. His name is Louis. Some of his family are part of our church. And, and he had an aneurysm. And I tell you what, he was, he was one of our worship leaders. He was a man of faith. He was our associate pastor. He planted our church. He's a dear friend, man. We prayed. We went on mission trips around the world together. I loved him. I know he loved God. We as a family, as people, we prayed and we believed and we had faith. And he passed away. Buried him on Good Friday. We don't know why prayers are not answered. But do you ever notice how when you pray, sometimes the things that change the most are not our circumstances, but ourself? He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The fact that I picked you and favored you, the fact that you have salvation is enough. Think about that for just a minute. So with that in mind, I want to give you a couple thoughts about what the grace of God's power does for us. The first thing is this. In the midst of our struggles, the grace of God is power to endure. To endure. Unexplainable, unanswered prayers. Reasons are not always understood. But when it happens, God says, I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you enough to endure. You see, there are two responses to God when it comes to a burden on our life, number one, he removes the load or number two, he'll strengthen our shoulders. And a lot of times he'll remove the load so that we can say, look what God has done. And we thank God for that, for the miracle, for God's deliverance. And sometimes he'll strengthen our shoulders so that we can say, look what God is doing. So that we can say, wow, look at how God's glory is shining in the midst of that pain. Some of the most inspirational and greatest stories I've ever seen have been through the lives of those that are going through the greatest trial and tragedy of their life. Sometimes he removes the load. Sometimes he strengthens the shoulders to endure what we don't understand. Job 13, 15, Job, when he was going through all those uh, tormenting attacks and sickness, this is what he says. Though he, God, slay me, though God slay me, Yet I will trust in him. Woo! He says, God, you can take my life. You can bring every horrible event allowable into my life. But God, I will still trust you. Man, that's faith. Are you willing to say that? Have you ever got to that point in your life where you can say, God, whatever happens in my life, whatever you allow, because God, you are sovereign, God, whatever you allow... And when the enemy attacks, I know you can deliver. But even when you don't deliver, God, I will trust you. I will endure. I will stand strong. The apostle Paul wrote in one book, having done all to stand, stand. Sometimes that's all we can do. I've done everything I can to break through, God. But I'm just going to stand sometimes. That's all you got. I love that. 
This is the attitude of Paul. Sometimes unanswered prayer is the only way to get us to a place where we can be there. God's grace in our weakness sufficiently reveals God's power. You've heard us say, well, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. You ever heard that phrase? There's even a a really good song that sings that. uh, Or God won't give you more than you can take. You know what? He might. He might give you more than you can take. He might give you more than you you can take so that you can learn to cast your burdens upon him. Because if we can take it, what do we need God for? Right? If I can handle everything that comes into my life, then where's the trust in God? If I don't need God to take a burden that I can't handle, then why would I need God at all? So sometimes, guess what? God will give you more than you can handle. Sometimes he will give you more than you can take. That verse that it's referring to, by the way, is about temptation. Sometimes unanswered prayer is how God gets us there. I want you to write this down. The second thing, the the grace of God gives us power to endure. It also gives us power to rely, to rely on God. I want to give you permission today. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be tired. God is not just the God of the comfortable. He is the God of comfort. Even when I am sick, even when I am weak, even when I am limited, God favors me. Because God is able to keep me. He is able to hold me. He is able to comfort me. He is able to encourage me. And he is still able to use me. And in my greatest weakness, God's greatest power is shown in us. I I, I wrote some thoughts down. I want you to hear this. I put some of them on Facebook last night. Great suffering brings out the greatest strength of God. If you've never known the weight of a sinking soul, how can you know? the upholding power of the hand of God. We can't deeply know God's strength until we truly know our weakness. We can't know the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. God's grace in our weakness sufficiently reveals God's faithfulness. He is ever present, faithful, to bring us peace and comfort. Now, some of you guys might know what this is. Oh, yeah, boy. This is actually out of my office. <laughs> I've had this for uh, about 22 years. Uh, this was uh, one time in my Bible college days, and I had this all through uh, my early office years. And check this out. It's got, for those brand new things called compact discs, it's got uh, a little place for that. And of course, uh, they won't ever take over the world. So uh, we've got my two comp- my cassette deck players here. And uh, this was great because I could put in a cassette tape and buy another one and copy a tape from tape to tape. So that was really cool. Yeah. But let me tell you something about, about radios. If you have a radio, if you have a radio, this radio is able to pick up Hundreds of radio frequencies. I could go all over the world and whatever's out in the air, whatever radio waves are out there, this radio and other radios will pick them up. How in the world do I decide what radio station to pick up? Just by turning the dial, just by pushing the buttons on our radios, we can get transmissions from around the world that are trying to get our attention, that are vying for our affection. Let me tell you something. In life, there are frequencies in the world. There are things in this life. There are things in the world vying and trying to get our attention to get us to tune into them. Worries and frustrations and troubles and temptations and hardships and dreams, responsibilities, good and bad things are out there in the air calling for us to tune into them. How do we amongst the noise, how do we get a clear signal In our walk with God, how do we keep from getting lost in all the noise of our trial? How do we get focused? You know what? It's by going to one station and staying there. It's by tuning in. It's by finding that. You see, guys, listen, you have, Paul says, troubles. 
Okay, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. We're still having troubles, right? Troubles don't go away. We all have different troubles, and some of you have yet to have the greatest trouble and trial of your life. And when that time comes, you're going to have all these noises, all these doctors' opinions. You're going to have, you know, what friends are telling you. You're going to be hearing what your boss is saying about the future of the business, and you're worried about your job. You're worried about your kids, and and you've got all these frequencies. And God says, just tune into me. Just focus it. Get quiet. Settle down. And tune the dial to me and listen to my voice. Listen to the grace of God that says, I'm enough. Listen to the Holy Spirit that is the comforter. Tune into me and rest in me and listen to my voice. A lot of times, man, we, we're punching dials. You know what? I, I know it because when we're depressed, we like to go to that sad song, right? That feeds our depression. You know, someone who you, who, who you love is not around. I want to play that song that makes me think of them and cry. <laughs> you just wipe away the tears. You play the song again. Oh, <laughs> Right? You're struggling with alcohol. Stop listening to half the country music. I don't know. <laughs> half the music, like, hey, let's go drink, you know, God, country, and beer. <laughs> Ugh, really? Tune in to the voice, yeah, America, no A, just America. Tune in to the voice of God today and listen to what Paul is saying. He says, the Holy Spirit is with us in the chaos of the noise if we will get alone with God and tune in and learn to rely upon him. Tune into his grace. Verse nine, he says, he goes on to say, therefore I will boast more gladly. When life is pulling at me, all the more I will tune in. He says, I will boast even more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the third thing. The grace of God gives us the power to praise. And this is the miracle of, 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 of the grace of God. We, <clears throat> listen to me on this. You might even want to write this down. It is possible to be undelivered and still be in victory. Now, I'm not talking about undelivered from sin. That is a given that, that we are in victory simply because we are delivered from our sin through the blood of Christ. But in the troubles of this life and the realities of this life, if you're praying for healing or praying for a miracle, praying for your son or praying for your husband, praying for your wife, praying for that situation, praying for your finances, whatever you are asking God for, I want to tell you something. You can be undelivered and still live in victory. And that's where Paul was at. Paul said, I prayed three times and God says, I'm enough. I'm all you need. I am sufficient for you. And though he was undelivered, Paul was in victory. Now, this flies in the face of many people, but it is amazing. You can't market this stuff. You can't sit. You, this doesn't go well in churches that say, hey, you know what? Come to church, meet Jesus. He's awesome. He loves you. He'll forgive you of your sins. Oh, and by the way, he always heals. He always gives you financial peace. He heals all your problems in your family and he'll give you the great job you want and he'll give you that car you've always wanted and the house you've always wanted and the friends you've always wanted and he'll give you this and, and let me, that's marketable. But Paul says, God's enough. A lot of churches don't preach that. You can be undelivered and still live in victory. Many think spiritual maturity is perfect health, living a trouble-free life, a struggles from uh, a struggle-free life. But real spirituality, maturity is living in victory despite your health, despite your troubles, despite your struggles. God works powerfully through the person turned inside out. Remember, I said a great walk with God comes with a price. He says, through the life emptied before the world and God. The worst trial of this life may be the best possession of praise you have in this life. God's grace in our weakness sufficiently reveals God's power. He goes on to say, uh, well, I got a couple of references there. Uh, you might remember the story of Joseph. He's a guy who, when he was a teenager, had these dreams of a great life. He had these dreams that his whole family would one day serve him. His brothers, all 11 of them were, uh, well, 10 out of the 11 were upset with him and decided, you know what, Joseph, you're arrogant and we don't like that you're saying that we're going to serve you one day. So they beat him up and sold him into slavery and he lived uh, the rest of, uh, of his grown life 20 years in Egypt. 20 years later, the dream came true. 
This is what he said when he saw his brothers as grown men 20 years later. Verse 15 of Genesis, I mean, uh, chapter 15, verse 20. He says, you, talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He says, what Satan meant to hurt me, what you thought you were doing to hurt me, man, God was using to shape me and to change and change the world. Romans 8, 28, all things work good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Those verses make sense when you're in the middle of a trial. So God's grace in our weakness sufficiently reveals God's plan. Let me, I'm gonna show you a, a little video here. This is a guy named uh, Nick Vituchik. I have a hard time saying his last name. He's an amazing individual. And here's a guy who was given a life that we would never have wanted for ourselves and for our children. But watch how he endured and how he relied and how his willingness to let God get glory in his life caused him to be someone who's changing the world. Check this video out. I was born in Melbourne, Australia, 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs. My faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why, God, I was born this way. Uh, He answered me very clearly through John chapter 9. And I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. (laughs) And no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on, and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me. Churches were starting to call me. Opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, no one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever. That was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist. broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces. And I want you to know when you fall down, God's grace is sufficient. God's hand will come down and pick you up. And give you the strength to get back up. In the first seven years of ministry, God opened up doors for me to speak 2,000 times across 44 countries on six continents from university campuses, 40,000 students in China to India, where we're talking to sex slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica, where you see the leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus. To Korea and speaking to the next generation about depression and suicide and to Eastern Europe, where we did Serbia, Slovenia and Croatia. Then doors in the Middle East, the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world. That is God. And we know We've just begun.
By the grace of God, we have seen face-to-face a half a million souls say yes to Jesus and be plugged into a local church. As crazy as it sounds, our goal at Life Without Limbs Ministry is to preach to every single soul on the planet. Seven billion people. We believe that this goal is possible. God is good. And all the time. My story is a story of redemption. Help us share it with the world so that others would be free indeed. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Is that amazing? Here's a guy who uh, in life, people might have written, by the way, uh, he got married last year to a lovely, just a beautiful lady, and uh, they had a baby this year, and uh, his own baby, and his baby's healthy. So here's this guy who, who thought, man, life is, is going to be horrible for me, my circumstances, what I've been dealt in life, uh, it's going to be horrible. But what was his greatest trial became even a greater triumph. It gave greater praise and it gave God greater glory. You know, we were, we were talking, we uh, showed some videos of him and our young adults this last week. And uh, somebody said, it taught, it taught me that, that, that we could do that. And I'm like, no, we can't because we have arms and legs. But that's, it was kind of comical, but here's the deal. We can't do what he's doing because his trial is what is allowing God to use him greater for his glory. But what is your trial? What is your deficit? What is your weakness? What is it that that you find to be the thorn in your flesh that God will use for his praise, for his glory? So he goes on and he says this in verse 10. Apostle Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong in Christ, that is. Whatever comes, whatever happens in life, Jesus is being praised. That's my prayer. That's my heart as a person that I may be punched around by the enemy, but I will not allow anything in this life to take me out on the inside for Christ. He goes on to talk about in verse 11, he says, I've made a fool of myself. He says, man, I've talked enough about myself, but you drove me to it. (laughs) It says, I'd ought to, I ought to have been commended by you. You should have been thanking me instead of me having to tell you how great God is in me. He says, for I'm not in the least inferior to those so-called super apostles, even though I am nothing. He says, I'm a nobody, even though I've done more than these guys. He goes, I've persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. That's the pain and suffering, including signs and wonders and miracles. He says, Verse 13, how were you inferior to the other churches except that when I was with you, I never burdened you. He says, I never asked you for anything. Forgive me this wrong because I feel like, he says, I feel like it's putting you this attitude of selfishness and judgment towards me. So he goes on to say in the rest of this chapter, we're going to skip this, by the way. Uh, in the rest of this chapter, Paul begins to wrap up saying, I'm on my way to see you. I'm coming to see you. And when I get there, Get ready, because when I come, if you haven't dealt with some of the issues that I've already been talking to you about, then I will be dealing with you personally, face to face. And he says, I didn't hold back in the letter. And he says, I'm definitely not going to hold back when I get to you. And he talks about in the last part of this section, he starts to get a little sarcastic with them. And he says, the whole point of this letter was not for me to scare you or intimidate you or get you afraid because I'm coming to get you squirming. It's because I care for you. I want you to know God is speaking through me to you. I'm coming to see you and it's for your benefit that I come. So I want to wrap up just a few final thoughts. And we're going to look at chapter 13. It's a very tiny chapter. We're going to skim parts of it, and we're going to wrap up the big themes of 2 Corinthians. This is what he says. I want you to write this down. First of all, a final thoughts from Paul is number one, I want you to write this down, is don't be afraid to confront difficult issues. Paul says, man, I never held back. I never held back in my love for you, and I never held back in my discipline of you. I never held back in confronting you. 
God's grace and courage gave me this compassion and passion to tell you the truth. Some of you guys, you're so worried to talk to your kids about this issue or your husband about that issue or your wife about this issue or your friend about that issue. Paul says, man, the grace of God in you is powerful enough and strong enough and, and, and bold enough and loving enough to allow us to confront the difficult issues. And 2 Corinthians is all about Paul confronting their difficult issues. The last chapter, verse 1 of 13, he says, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three. He says, man, I'm not the only ones that told you this. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. He says, already I gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it in my absence on my return. I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. He says, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. This is interesting. He says, you want to see proof that God is working in me? Well, stand back because here comes the boom. I'm about to show up. And when I show up, I'm going to show you the power of God in my confrontation. I'm going to confront you. Head on. You want to know if I'm truly moving in the power of God? I'm on my way. And if those issues aren't dealt with, he says, you're going to see the power of God and how I confront you. He says, for to be sure, Christ was crucified in weakness, yet he lives in God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live in, uh, with him in our dealing. He says, you know, Christ, who is all-powerful, appeared weak, but he was showing his mighty power to save us in his weakness. And likewise, you think I'm weak? Well, here I come. It's anything but weakness. Verse five, he says, examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. See, the problem with Corinth is they love to criticize Paul. They love to point the finger at others, but they never pointed at themselves and never examined themselves. He says, do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless you, of course, fail the test? That is, unless you're not truly his. And I trust that you will discover that you have not failed the test. Write this down. A big clue of 2 Corinthians is this. Take it personal. Examine yourself. Paul says this. Take the test. Look in the mirror. The word examine literally means go to court with yourself. Take the stand and cross-examine yourself. Put yourself to the test. We are great at pointing out other people's issues, but Paul says, look in the mirror, look at yourself. Some of you, it's time to look in the mirror. You like to say and point out somebody else's struggles, the way they're dressed, the way they look, the way they act, the things they're doing. Well, look in the mirror, Paul says. Examine yourself. Are you truly a follower of Christ or are you only a Christian in name? The test is, in your faith, and in your ability to follow. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the test. So it goes on, verse 7. He says, now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. He says, I'm praying that you don't do anything stupid. That's what it means. Not so that people will see that we have stood the test, not so that people will see how great we are leading you, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Listen to this. Paul says, you know what? I know that we will stand in the truth. That's what Paul says. Me and Timothy and Titus and and Silas, all these guys that I'm sending to you to encourage you. Guess what? He says, we're going to be all right. We're going to stand in the truth. But he says this, even if it seems we have failed, are you going to stand in the truth? And this is a question I have for you guys. Even if I were to fail, if Chris were to fail, if the band were to fail, if your parents were to fail, if your children were to fail, if your husband, if your wife was to fail, if they were to fall away, Paul says, no matter what you hear, will you be faithful? Here's the third thing. This is the last, uh, second to last thing is never give up. Even when we make mistakes, even when we stumble, we don't give in, we don't give up. I don't lose heart. The truth wins. Here's the last part. He says, we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong and our prayer is that you will be fully restored, made complete, that is. That is why I write these things when I'm absent. 
or your maturity, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority God gave me for the building you up. <laughs> sounded like a sounded like you're talking hip hop there. For building you up, for not tearing you down. Here's the last thing Paul wants to say. He says, don't give up on you and don't give up on others. This whole point of 2 Corinthians was, I'm not giving up on you. Even though you're hard-hearted, even though you struggle, even though you're continually letting me down, I will not give up on you. And that's the challenge to you. Those four challenges of Corinthians, don't be afraid to confront difficult issues. Take a good look in the mirror at yourself and where you are with Christ. Don't give up when the trials come and the hardships come. And don't give up on those around you, even when they've failed you. So he wraps it up with these final words. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, which was a common practice then. Basically says, I still love you. All God's people here in Macedonia and Philippi, we send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here's the deal. When life brings its hardship and prayers are not answered, are you going to be there still? Are you still going to stand? I don't know about you, but my prayers, yes. Who's God making you? That's the whole point of the series. Things that God uses to make us. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are with us and you're working in us and you're making us and you're doing things in us to help us to shape us into uh, your image. And Lord, I pray, God, that, that if there's anyone here, anyone here at all, that God, that's in the midst of a trial, that's in the midst of a struggle, that's in the midst of pain, that's in the midst of sickness, that's in the midst of uh, confusion, Lord, and heartache, that God, that they would see that your grace is enough. And God, I thank you that sometimes you do show up in miracles. But God, even when the miracles don't come, I will stand in you. And God, that's my prayer for the people today. God, that those that are your children, those that have bowed their knee to Christ, that have said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, that when the trials come, that their walk with God is not defined by what they're doing or what they believe or, or the accomplishments that they have, but their walk with God is being defined by the faithfulness they have in you. God, thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that you are with us even now to comfort us in the midst of our pain. And we give you praise for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask for our ushers to come forward at this time. We're going to close our service. I'm going to hand it back to, uh, to Sean. Uh, if you're a regular in our church here, then I encourage you to be faithful in your giving. It's what allows us to be here each week and, and to uh, take care and to move forward as a church. If you're a guest, uh, fill out that connection card, drop it in the bucket, and I'd love to uh, follow up with you. So um, let's pray for our offering. God, thank you for this opportunity to give. I pray that you'd multiply it. Lord, you know what we are in need of, and uh, Lord, we just give you praise that you are the provider. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.